Let's look to the Word of God today. We're beginning a new series of sermons uh, that you see the logo for on, on your bulletin and on the screens behind me that I'm calling Plagiarizing Jesus. One of the scandals that sometimes impacts pastors these days is the issue of plagiarism. Uh, sermons in the modern world are readily available to be read in books or on websites or in articles. Sermons are readily available to be heard in podcasts and various kinds of recordings and distributions. And it's been discovered that from time to time a pastor will preach a portion of somebody else's sermon or sometimes even the entirety of somebody else's sermon without giving them credit for having originated that sermon. Now, we pastors, of course, all preach from the same biblical material, and many of us share ideas on on application and illustrations and things like that. And it's not uncommon that maybe something you hear me say is something you've heard another pastor say. I'm not talking about that, but I am saying that from time to time that, that idea of shared material crosses the line very clearly into the issue of plagiarism. And it occurs to me that if a preacher is going to stand up and plagiarize a sermon, the person that we should be plagiarizing isn't a celebrity pastor or famous author. If we're going to plagiarize, we, we ought to be plagiarizing Jesus. Amen. And fortunately, it has occurred to me you know, that fortunately we have the opportunity to do that because number one, a number of Jesus' sermons are recorded and contained in the Bible. And secondarily, I don't think he's going to sue. You know what I'm saying? This is, this is a crime without a victim. I don't think he's going to be angry if we plagiarize his sermon. And so I've decided that we're going to do that for a little while. As I mentioned, the Bible records several different sermons that Jesus preached, but without question, the most famous one. The most complete one, the one that's most exhaustively recorded for us, is the one that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's recorded in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And so beginning this week, for the next several weeks, we're going to be, I'm going to be, plagiarizing Jesus. I'm going to be reading from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to take our time to go through this treasure. So the Sermon on the Mount occurs relatively early in Jesus' public ministry. At the time he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, he had only recently begun becoming a public figure. He had just recently chosen 12 disciples. He had just recently begun attracting crowds and crowds of people. And Matthew says for us that the theme of Jesus' message, especially in those early days, his theme was God's kingdom. If we look before the Sermon on the Mount, if we look in Matthew chapter 4, just a a few verses before the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That phrase, kingdom of heaven, is pretty interchangeable with kingdom of God there. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A couple lines lower, Matthew chapter 4, 23, Matthew says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He was proclaiming a message that was a kingdom of God message. That was the theme of his sermons. He didn't have PowerPoints. He didn't have graphics. But if he did, if he was trying to package this in a book or in a series of podcasts, the title would be Kingdom of God. 
That's what Matthew was preaching. That's what he was saying. And so I think it's fair for us to understand the Sermon on the Mount as Jesus' opening treatise on just what exactly do we mean when we say kingdom of God. When God says my kingdom... What is God talking about? Jesus gives us the Sermon on the Mount as kind of a treatise, an answer to that question. And so with that in mind, we can turn the page in our Bible to Matthew chapter 5, the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and we read these words beginning in verse 1. So now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, thus Sermon on the Mount, and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are, and I want to stop right there. I've only plagiarized two words so far. To my knowledge, I'm not an expert on the law, but I think that doesn't even rise to the legal definition of plagiarism. I think I'm allowed a certain number of words. So we've only gotten to two. Nobody here is in trouble yet. Are we in agreement? But we already have a decision that we need to make. Truthfully, I tried to make this decision on my own as I prepared my sermon today, and I just couldn't come up with an answer to this problem. I couldn't come up with what I wanted to do about this, so I decided I would bring it to you guys and you would decide for me. If you're familiar with this passage of Scripture, you know that Jesus is about to say, blessed are these people, blessed are those people, blessed. We're going to get a series of blessings here. And I have heard this preached, I've heard it read many times, I'm sure many of you had as well. Sometimes when people say it, they say, blessed are. And sometimes they say, blessed are. I've heard it both ways and I've looked it up. Either one is acceptable in modern English. I couldn't decide which way I wanted to go, so we're going to put it to a vote today. Are you ready? You have a decision to make. Are we going to say, blessed are, or are we going to say, blessed are? Has everybody thought about it? Okay, all those in favor of blessed are, please raise their hands. Ooh, that's a pretty strong showing. Okay, hands down. And all those in favor of blessed are. Oh, old school. Wow. You know what, guys? It's really, really close. But I think the blessed carry it. I think we're going to be one syllable of blessing for this. Okay. We should probably just pray and go home, because that's, that's about the pinnacle of what I got for you today. That, that's about it. Okay, so we've decided on the pronunciation. Blessed are, that's what, what Jesus said. Blessed are these people, blessed are those people. I'm still stopping right there, because before we really move into the meat of this portion of Scripture, we've decided on pronunciation, right? That was the easy part. Let's talk about meaning. What does that mean? I mean, we know the words, bless, anybody who's ever sneezed has heard the words. We, we, know, we know the words, but I don't think we understand the meaning, certainly not in the way that biblical cultures and people in Bible times understood the meaning. About the closest we ever get, you have to get to, you know, like Interstate 80 and South, get into Central Illinois and Southern Illinois, you find somebody, you know, who's just having a difficult time, and, and maybe grandma will say, oh, now bless is a little hard. It's kind of about the closest we get. And I don't think that really captures the essence of what Jesus is talking about here. When just kind of a, oh, isn't that sweet now? Isn't that sweet? No, 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 no. That's not what's really going on here. When Jesus is saying, blessed are the so-and-sos, he's pronouncing a blessing over people. And a blessing is a proclamation of favor upon someone. It's kind of a way of saying, I wish good things for you, but it's much more powerful than just a wish. 
In the Bible, the idea is that words of blessing have authority. There's authority and power in the words themselves. The people in biblical times went to great lengths to receive blessings and to avoid curses. And it's not because they were foolish or superstitious. It's because they properly understood the authority that is inherent in words of blessing. Words matter, right? And blessing words matter. So when I say, I I, I bless you, when I say, I bless you, I'm not just saying, you know, I kind of hope good things happen to you. I'm not putting good thoughts or good juju out into the universe on your behalf, as we sometimes say in the modern world. No, when I say, I bless you, I'm proclaiming favor onto your life in a way that we believe is really actually very powerful and very meaningful. Good things happen because of blessings. And so when Jesus begins explaining God's kingdom by talking about God's blessing, he's saying blessed are, he's leading with the idea that God's kingdom brings favor. Now, maybe there were people in the crowd that day who were like many of us today. Maybe they grew up with images in their mind of an angry God who didn't bring blessing, an angry God who brought condemnation and judgment. Maybe they spent their lives in fear of God's wrath and in fear of God's anger. Maybe they presumed that the idea that God would come near to inaugurate his long-awaited kingdom, maybe they thought that that meant now there's going to be hell to pay, literally. But instead, Jesus says, no, God's kingdom is coming, and that means there's a blessing on the way. There's a blessing on the way. And that's because God's kingdom means good news. God's kingdom means good news. Later on in his gospel, his his memoir, as you might think of it, Matthew will record Jesus referring once again to this message as the gospel of the kingdom. That's what Jesus said he came to proclaim, the gospel of the kingdom. Now, many of you are probably aware of the fact that the word gospel literally means good news. Anytime you see the word gospel, you can just replace good news and vice versa. Jesus said it was the gospel of the kingdom. It was the good news of the kingdom. Jesus' message is literally that the coming of the kingdom is good news. Now, let's be honest. The Bible is full of things that challenge us, isn't it? There's pages in our Bible that we read and we go, it doesn't sound like good news to me. Sometimes there's things in the Bible that alarm us. They they make us uncomfortable. They don't always line up with the way we've become used to seeing life. That's because we are used to seeing life through the lens of the kingdoms of this earth. And Jesus is saying, look, some things are going to be changing. Because I'm going to replace the kingdoms of this earth with the kingdom of God. Things are going to change. Things are going to change. And that's going to feel uncomfortable for you. You're going to be shocked by by some of how that happens. But here's what I need you to know. The kingdom is good news. Fear not, the messenger says. The kingdom is good news. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. The kingdom is good news. But good news for whom? For whom? I mean, that's really the question, right? 
There's good news, but we don't always receive it the same way. We had our softball game after, after service last Sunday. And traditionally, it's Cubs fans versus White Sox fans. And the good news is that for the first time in several years, the Cub fans were victorious. That is good news because the people of God were victorious over the powers of darkness. <laughs> but there are some in this room who do not receive it as good news. And for them, we are still toiling in prayer, right? But behold, I have seen a great light. None of this is in my notes, by the way. I should probably get back to that. Good news for whom? is a relevant question. News is news, right? God says it's good news, but who is it good news for? Maybe it's time that I actually plagiarize Jesus. I've been saying I was going to do that. It's time to do that now. So here's what I want you to do. The, the scriptures that I'm about to read are not going to be on the screen. Kelly's just going to leave the screen just right where it is right now. Instead, I want you to just imagine Imagine yourself sitting on a mountainside in the warm Judean air. Imagine having heard the stories about this guy and deciding to come and hear for yourself what he's all about. Imagine that as he sits down, a hush falls over the crowds. And he opens his mouth and for the first time, you hear the voice of Jesus, this carpenter from, from Galilee. And he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way... <laughs> They persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's what you hear them say. A list of blessings. Nine to be exact. I want to back up and, and now you will see the slide change because we're, we're going to review exactly what kind of people, right? Blessings for whom? What kind of people are first in line to receive the good news of God's kingdom? Well, according to the text, it was the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's the list. Can I go back and, and kind of review it just one more time quickly, but this time in my own words? I mean, I just plagiarized Jesus. Now I'm going to go back and kind of adapt it into language that I think is a little bit more befitting Downers Grove in the year 2022. Here's what I hear Jesus saying. God's kingdom means good news, but especially for people who have had no, little or no spiritual life. 
It's good news for people whose lives are filled with tears and for those who have never been able to stand up for themselves. It's good news for the ones who have been starved for justice and the people who give everybody else a break even though they never get one for themselves. God's kingdom means good news for people who can't seem to help wearing their hearts on their sleeves no matter how many times it's caused them pain. It means good news for the ones who have tried to make peace but only ever got stuck in the middle. It's good news for the people who honestly tried to do the right thing but ended up getting in trouble for their efforts. And it's especially good news for people whose commitment to Jesus has caused them nothing but pain. For those people, God's kingdom means good news. Think about that list. What do they have in common? Look, some of them at the very beginning are are hardly spiritual at all. And some of them have deep relationships with Jesus. It's, It's not an issue of their spirituality. Some of them are doing very, very good things. Some of them are just getting kicked in the teeth all the time. They're kind of all over the map. What do they actually have in common? Here's what they have in common. Life is not going well for them. Certainly not by worldly standards. These are not the winners. They are not on top. They are not in control. But Jesus' opening words about the message of the kingdom is that God's kingdom means good news for struggling people. It's good news, but it's good news for struggling people. I remember trying to teach a friend of mine to play the card game Hearts. Have you ever played Hearts? The idea of Hearts, as you know, if you've played it or if you've ever had Microsoft Windows back in the day, right? Minesweeper and Hearts. That was kind of what computers were all about. Uh, If you've ever played Hearts, you know that the idea of Hearts is to end the game with as few hearts as possible. You want to end each hand with as few hearts as possible. I think this was in college. A group of us were going to play Hearts, and one of us didn't know how to play, so we tried to explain the game to him. And then when we got done explaining it, we played our first hand. Well, we apparently didn't do a very good job of teaching Hearts to this guy. Because when the first hand of hearts was over, he turned over his cards and proudly proclaimed, look, I got almost all of them. (laughs) He knew the rules, but he was going in the wrong direction. When we read the Sermon on the Mount, we come away, I think, with the distinct idea that the way we thought we understood life worked is actually completely backwards. Throughout history, Most people have had the idea that God tends to give people what they deserve. Eastern religions sometimes refer to this as karma, which is essentially the idea that what goes around comes around, cosmically speaking. Prosperity and success are seen as direct evidence that God is pleased with me. And people that have it all together must be the ones that are doing life the right way. There's something within us that wants to believe that a good life is a sign of God's blessing and a difficult life is a sign of God's curse. But Jesus' opening words fly in the face of that kind of logic. And turns out that's not necessarily how the rules of life work. Instead, Jesus singles out the struggling people in the world as the ones who are first in line to realize the favor of God. God's kingdom means good news for struggling people. Good news for exactly the opposite kind of people that you and I might have guessed. But why? 
Why would Jesus suggest that struggling people are the ones most in line to recognize the blessing and favor of God in their life? How does this make sense in kingdom economics? I want to go back through the passage of blessings and look at the actual blessings that he mentions. What happens to these people? What kind of favor do they realize? Well, he says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. And he proclaims, great is your reward in heaven. Let me read that one more time. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They will be comforted. They will inherit the earth. They will be filled. They will be shown mercy. They will see God. They will be called children of God. And he says, and if this is you, great is your reward in heaven. Again, can I just adapt that in kind of my own words? Here's what I hear Jesus saying. In God's kingdom, we find a home for the people we thought we could for the people we thought we could never figure God out. And broken people, they're made whole. When God's kingdom comes, the ones who got overlooked by everyone actually sit at the head of the table. And the people who never received justice finally find it. The ones who just couldn't catch a break before suddenly find favor with everyone. And people stuck in the middle of conflict discover God's peaceful presence. People who spent their whole lives being wrongly accused end up vindicated. And the ones who suffered for their faith find the biggest reward of all. Do you see what's happening here? God's kingdom means good news for suffering people because God's kingdom sets things right. The kingdom sets all things right. Can, can I give you an announcement today? The announcement is this. The world is broken. I mean, if the world is broken. It has malfunctioned. That's the story of scripture, isn't it? We, we just did our, our, our series on, on beginnings. And I, I preached from Genesis chapter 1 and, and Genesis chapter 2. Turn the page. Go, go one page beyond what I preached to you over the last few weeks. You get to Genesis chapter 3. And you know what the story of Genesis chapter 3 is? Whoops. <laughs> the world broke. The world broke. And you and I have been living in a broken and fallen world. And Jesus says that sometimes, sometimes, the rich and successful don't realize just how broken the world is. After all, it's working pretty well for them. I think we need to be careful not to over-spiritualize this passage of Scripture. Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Luke records that Jesus would use these lines at other times. He would repeat his sermons. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Nobody was listening to him on the internet. And Luke said that when he repeated these words, he, he left out the in spirit part. He just said, Jesus, blessed are the poor. You know, those of you for whom life is not working out so good, there's good news. The kingdom is coming. And sometimes those who have had success in this life are the last ones to realize it. They're the last ones to realize just how broken the world is. But find a struggling person. Find a poor person. 
Find a grieving person. Find a sick person. Find an outcast person. They understand better than anybody else just how broken the world is. They understand that if God is going to come like God has promised, then some things have got to change. And so if the world looks at you and says, you know, I don't think you belong here. Chances are that God is looking at you and saying, you know what, this is exactly where you belong. My kingdom has come for you. The good news for us today, the very thing that you thought was keeping you out of God's kingdom could well be the exact thing that proves you belong in it. Can I say that again? I think that's the heart of what Jesus wanted us to know at the beginning of his sermon. The very thing that you thought was keeping you out of God's kingdom could likely be the exact thing that proves you're in it. Because Jesus is saying, I didn't come to pat on the back the people who think they have it all together. I came for the outcast. I came for the one who looks like he doesn't belong. I came for the people at whose lives you could look and say, Man, what did they do to tick God off? Those are the ones I came for. Think about the real context in which Jesus is saying these words. I referred to it at the very beginning of of my sermon. In Matthew chapter 4, he's been going around preaching, talking about the kingdom, but what else has he been doing? He's been healing people. Who do you think is in the crowd this day? Who do you think is in the crowd today? It's the people who were broken. It's the people who were outcast. It's the people who in a superstitious culture, everyone thought, stay away from them because they got some bad juju on. God is clearly not pleased with them. Those were the people in the crowd that day. And I know the Bible says that Jesus sat down, and that's how teachers taught in those days. The teacher would sit sit down, and the crowd would stand and listen. But there's a part of my heart that wants to just kind of bend the history a little bit and, and picture it this way. Will you let me do that? I understand. I'm not telling you this is how it happened, but in my heart, this is what I this is what I imagine. I imagine Jesus walking through the crowds and grabbing the hands of people that he had touched that day. And saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm not picking anything more, so I've got it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This one right here, this is who the kingdom came for. This is who the kingdom came for. What have you been crying? You've been mourning, you've been grieving. I imagine Jesus walking through the crowds and saying, This is why the kingdom of God came. This is it. Who is it good news for? He looks in the faces of the crowd and he says, it's for you. You who spent your whole life thinking you didn't belong. The good news is for you. If that's the position you're in today, I invite you to move forward in confidence. Yeah, there are problems in your life. There are problems in all of our lives. 
But now you know, God didn't cause your problems. God is transforming your problems. God is resolving your problems because the kingdom has come. God is redeeming your problems. And that's the good news. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion together. I neglected to mention that at the front, so I hope you grabbed a communion cup on your way in. If you didn't, I'm sure the ushers can just grab those, those containers and bring them down the aisle if anybody's missing them. And just so you don't feel bashful about that, I actually forgot to grab one, and I'm going to need Jim to bring me ones. But I want to close today's sermon and today's service by us celebrating communion together. And I think it's appropriate. Jenna, come give us a little music. I think it's appropriate and it's fitting. The words that I read to you are kind of, in a sense, the beginning of the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. Remember those words, right? The good news of the kingdom. How does that proclamation begin? It begins with Jesus sitting down on a mountainside and saying, blessed are the so-and-sos. Blessed are these people. Blessed are those people. And that proclamation of the kingdom kind of draws to a conclusion maybe three years later in a room where he once again is seated and once again is sharing time with his followers. And that, of course, is where we draw our, our communion story. Bookends, can we say? Bookends to the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. Matthew, the same follower of Jesus who apparently was taking notes that day because he's the one that recorded this sermon for us. He's also in the upper room and, and he records for us that in that upper room as they shared this meal together, Jesus said, you know, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it anew with you, where? In my Father's kingdom. It was all about kingdom, wasn't it? It was all about taking what we know about this world, the, the rules that we've been taught, the way life works, the rubric that we all have for determining what works and what doesn't, what makes success and what doesn't, what, what is indicative of God's blessing and what isn't. It's all, it's all about taking all of that and tossing it out and saying there's a new way to understand what God is doing. It's a kingdom way. It's God's kingdom way. So maybe communion isn't really so much the other bookend. Maybe communion is just kind of a pause in the proclamation. Maybe communion is that moment that says we're, we're going to pause it for a minute here and we're going to use a little bookmark that's going to be an emblem that's going to remind us where to pick up again because there is a day when I will drink this anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You're going to know where to find me. You're going to know where to find that kingdom. That's why Jesus says each time we do this, we remember. Prepare the bread, if you would. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us. 
given to us. We thank you for this emblem that reminds us the one whose kingdom we are called to. We receive it now together. Jesus, we are reminded this morning that most every kingdom in this world has been inaugurated by the spilling of blood. Wars, revolutions, coups, violence upon violence. But it was the wrong rubric. That's not how your kingdom was inaugurated. Yes, blood was spilled, but it was the blood of the innocent lamb laid down his life willingly that we might enter that kingdom. And so we receive this emblem today in memory of that. setting all things right. And we are reminded that the message of Jesus is not wait for the kingdom. The message of Jesus is not hold your breath, cross your fingers, and hope that you can make it until it arrives. No, the message of Jesus is the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. And God, that means that when we pray, we pray in faith knowing that even now you are setting all things right. Knowing that even now the poor in spirit are being proclaimed as members of the kingdom of heaven. Knowing that even now those who are mourning, Lord, find comfort in the power in the name of Jesus. Knowing that even now the meek are entering into their inheritance. Those, Lord, who have hungered for justice are being satisfied. Those who have been persecuted, who have been lied about, for your namesake are being vindicated in the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because your kingdom has come. And that's what happens. That's what happens. Strengthen us, we pray. Fill us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Empower us and equip us to be busy laborers in your kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for your anointing today. We give you praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. May kingdom blessings be upon you. Church, I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. If you're going to stay for the getting to know you lunch today, you can make your way into the gymnasium. Food's already out behind the blue wall. Otherwise, have a great Sunday afternoon. I will see you this Friday night for Featured Friday. God bless.